Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest, Berhinda Williams, lives according to her name's Germanic Greek origin, the bare-hearted protector of multiculturalism, art, and womanhood. She focuses her energy as a femolutionary poet, teacher, author, television, and film producer, host of the podcast Soul of a Lead Her, youth advocate, and public speaker. With a passion for culture, community, and connections, she has served as a host, coordinator, and marketing professional for innumerable cultural enrichment events, including her involvement as a poetry programming consultant and mistress of ceremonies for Ford UAW Women's Expo. Williams has served as a guest lecturer for Detroit Creative Mornings. She's been a keynote speaker and moderator for events centered on women's issues and advocacy. Bilingual for more than 20 years, she has served on several panels and most recently was a featured poet for United Way's Financial Wellbeing Innovation Challenge launch event and served as a keynote speaker and poet for Toyota. Williams also has several media credits that include her work as a CW, 50 community correspondent, poetry, pages, and scribes co-producer for Channel 15, and consultant for the spoken word documentary televising a revolution of spoken word in Detroit. Williams is also an alumni for the Secret Society of Twisted Storytellers, the Vagina Monologues, and Listen to Your Mother. As a Wayne State University graduate with a bachelor's in Spanish and minor in international marketing, she lives her life in color. Brenda, how do you have time to do all of this, first of all? I think you are the most impressive (laughs) guest I've had so far, but how are we doing today? I'm doing well. (laughs) Good. I am so excited Before we started recording, we were talking and I was thinking about it, like we have been in this same room for multiple times over the last two years. We both hang out at Bamboo. We're a part of a few different networking groups. But you and I, I think this is our first time talking one-on-one, which is hilarious to me. It's like we kind of tap each other at the events, but we don't have the opportunity like talk talk. But this is great that we have an opportunity now to talk talk. I am so thankful for it. I know it's always like, oh, Mondays are crazy when I go to Coterie and it's always my crazy day. But I'm so thankful that we found a time to sit down together. So before we dive into the incredible work you do and just feel good about amazing things that you're working on, throwing it back. What was your childhood like and what did you want to be when you grew up? Wow. You know, I often think about that because I do a multitude of things, but I think even then, I did a multitude of things. So if we go all the way back to kindergarten, I used to produce shows for my parents, so like theatrical shows. So like my sister and I would do costuming and we would lip sync and we would dance. We put on a show. So like after dinner, we put on a show for my parents, but we would come home from school and like I was so like complete Taurus about it. We got to practice. We got to rehearse. <laughs> we have to, you know, lipstick, hair, make like it was a whole thing. So we would rehearse after school. Whole production. Oh, yeah. Rehearse after school. And then put on the show after dinner. And then as I got into, you know, high school, I think that's where maybe like the leadership pieces began to emerge because I was the president of the Black Awareness Club. I was president of choir. I was president of the dance troupe. So art, you know, was always there and always present. And culture, of course, was always there and present. And then I did like a lot of speaking in church. So the thing that I'm doing now, I think it's just kind of like a continued unfolding of what I was doing when I was younger. I absolutely love that because I feel you are one of the few, I don't know, because this has been the reoccurring theme on the podcast lately, that you started what you were doing when you were little. I mean, even throwing it back to dinner entertainment with your family. But 
How was your family's support? It seems like you had a lot of great support early on, but moving into, I mean, this awareness and that creative side of you, because I think you are the first poet I like genuinely does this as a job that I've met. And it's so exciting. Wow. Thank you. So I think for my parents, I mean, I think anytime you grow up ethnic, like, or, you know, in my case, as a black person, there is this need for you to go to college, get a good job, (laughs) pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And your creativity, well, at least it wasn't, I wasn't besmirched for it, but it was definitely like, okay, so you're going to do what? You're quitting your job. (laughs) You're quitting your teaching job. Well, what are you going to do for benefits? And I'm like, well, benefits matter more to you than they do me. Right. Let me back a little bit. So this is like my third incarnation of like entrepreneurship. Oh. Yeah. So this is like take three. And I think for me, the defining moment was I had gone to, in 2019, I think maybe eight different funerals. And after you kind of hear over and over and over again, someone's obituary, I know, right? You hear more about how they lived. And I said, knock on wood, if today were to be my last day, am I really doing, am I living fully up to my potential? Am I really living the thing that I'm passionate about? And while I'm passionate about you, and as you read, like, I'm bilingual. So, hola mi gente, mi idioma segunda es español. I love the language and the culture, but there was still this sort of yearning for something bigger, for more. And then I said, well, I could always go back to this. But what I cannot go back to is the unknown. Which is true. Yeah. I can go back to the unknown. So let's flesh this out. And literally, when I put the resignation, my resignation letter on my principal's desk, I came back to my classroom. I had an invitation to do poetry for Rashida Tlaib. Shout out to Rashida Tlaib. I love you, girl. So she, uh, yeah. So, so her, <laughs> yeah, her people reached out. Hey, can you do poetry for her inauguration? I'm like, uh, yeah. Yeah. So can do that. Did I know? I didn't know this. Oh, my gosh. I will have to send you the Yuzu, but yes. I don't think I did. Yeah. No, I did poetry for Rashida Tlaib and the squad. So last year was myself and a poet from my girls organization. So shout out the Power of Girlhood and our sister organization, Figure Skating in Detroit. We did poetry for the squad at Cast Tech. Yes. So it supported me and the faith because I literally did not know. I'm going to put this resignation there. I was coaching, kind of. I was Carver, kind of. So like everything's like kind of, kind of, maybe, sort of. And I knew that there was never going to be a perfect or right time. But there's never a right time. I mean, there are better times maybe than others. But if I'm waiting for everything to be perfect, I think they say like save up like six months salary or a year's salary before you quit. Uh, I did not have that. Me either. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I just didn't. I didn't have that. But I also knew that there's going to be an inward collapse that I just couldn't afford if I stayed where I was at. How long were you teaching for that you quit in 2019? So I've been teaching, I think, on again, off again for about a decade. Oh, wow. Okay. I left teaching for a little bit to go into nonprofit. And I think that's a whole other show in and of itself, like just the nonprofit (laughs) world. We'll bring you back for another one. Yes. That's a whole other topic. I just, sometimes we think that when we're doing things for people, it really is for people. There's a whole shadow side to, I think, every industry. So I came back out, went back to the classroom because I, again, it's always like this unfoldment and better understanding yourself. What I enjoy truly is the front-facing work of like being in circle, like with girls or being um, in community. 
like with the students and like hearing their voices or hearing their writing in some cases, being able to affect change. Because, I mean, when we look at the way things are set up systemically, like it's a lot for like one person to try and undo. But when we can do it in community, because I'm such a community person, like if we do it in community, I feel like that's the way to approach everything. Healing happens in community. Creativity happens in community. Like all the shifts happen in community. So let's be community. So, yeah. So coming back to the classroom piece, I think up until 2019 at that point, I think I've been teaching consistently for like, yeah, almost a decade. And it just, I cried all the way to work. Cried when I left work. I felt like this sense, yeah, this sense of like when I would get off, like a freedom. I got what they call, what is it, the Monday scaries. Like I would have horrible anxiety on like Monday morning. Like I'm an imposter. I don't belong here. They're going to find me out. And I just, I'm realizing I'm a weirdo, you know, like when you're strange and different. (laughs) And I mean that with all the love possible, because I'm sure that there are other weirdos that are out there, like totally listening. It's like, right, you're a cool from Whoville. Like you got to find your other hoops, (laughs) right? And, you know, what I enjoyed about even teaching Spanish was like the cultural parts of it. Like when we got to the unit on Frida Kahlo, like, oh, hey, like it was just awesome. And, you know, we made ofrendas and like the creativity. We watched The Book of Life and Coco and who's in there crying. Like, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. And like, okay, how do we make the perfect miracle? Like, how do we get that all right for the ofrenda and Leela Downs and uh, yeah, La Llorona? Like, love all of this. So it's like, okay, so this is the part that you're really satiated, like you're getting off on this. Then maybe this is the thing that you need to go off and do. Like, I love, you know, reading about Mexico, but it's like, I love actually being in the Yucatan. Like, I want to be there, personally want to be there. So we can read about it or we can go be about it. And so for me, I just kind of rested on what is that um, poem? What will you do with your one wondrous life? Ooh, I know, right? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's heavy. That's a good heavy, though. It's a good heavy. It is a good heavy. And I don't want to say, like, I love that the funerals brought you light, but it's interesting that funerals especially, I mean, kind of spark different things in you. And I don't know if you've witnessed the same thing. I mean, unfortunately, have not had that many in one year, knock on wood, but we have dealt with death. I mean, I remember very early on. And then going to college and having friends freak out at 18 years old saying like, oh, my gosh, this is my first funeral. I'm like, well, I'm a veteran at this at this point because this is probably my 15th or so. But it's interesting because we always think we have the time. We have the time, the right time. And I like that you said it. when is the perfect time. But you're never going to have all your ducks in an order. I mean, then if you would have waited, we had pandemic. I mean, 2019 and we moved to 2020. Then it certainly was not going to be the perfect time. It's so interesting and looking at different life events and saying like, and just kind of, and you are in this creative field. So naturally that's how your brain works, but it's looking at the other side of it and building this beautiful community that you have. And also sob my eyes out at Coco, like one of my favorite movies. It is so great and so heartwarming. So those of you who haven't watched it, please go watch it because it is so great. It should have came with a warning. It needed a warning because I was not. Yes. I was not ready. Like, you know, they'll put like rated R or NC-17 for like things that are sexually explicit. But in this case, Coco was so emotionally like gut-wrenching because I also, spoiler alert, had a really close relationship with my grandmother, like super close. I was Mm -hmm. not prepared 
not okay. I remember like blurry eyed, couldn't see the TV, puffy eyes, like I had an allergic reaction. And I was like, I expected maybe a few tears, like in Kanto was a few tears, but oh, Coco, I remember it was just like sobbing. And it, that's my go to, like, I want a good cry movie is Coco. Oh, yeah. And listen, grown men were in the theater like, is that a stick? Are you sick? Are you crying? What? I knew it. So good. I just had to, I just had to put that out there. Oh, it's so so good and so impactful. Yeah, because I thought I was the only one, and then when I talked to more people, and I was like, "You are crying over a cartoon movie," and then anyone else I've talked to. So I'm glad you also had the same experience. But it was such an impactful movie for sure. Now, going back to you quitting your job, you're like, "I'm going to do this." I want to talk through 2019 into 2020 with all the insanity, awful things that have happened in the world over the last few years. Where was your place? Because I met you, I think, 21, 22. I don't remember the timeline. I think 22 is when we met. But what was pandemic like for you and how you built your own community and utilize your talents to get to where you are today? Oh, my gosh. So pandemic, I think, for um, I mean, I can't speak to everyone's lived experience, but I will say, Angela, for me, um, horrific because you're in the middle, yes, of the pandemic. But then also like the George Blade, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember it's sad that so much of your news comes in through your social media. And I just remember just this blow up on like social media. And it got to the point. So shout out to all the empaths out here. As an empathic person, it took me to a point where I was in a fetal position. Like I was in a ball. To this day, I've never... I've never seen the video. I refuse to watch it. I've heard the audio and mm-hmm. I read the transcript. Mm-hmm. Both. Both are gut-wrenching. Right. And uh, very telling of where we are. Uh, not even as a, a, yes, as a country, but also as a society, like as a culture of trauma porn and the way we treat each other. And I just remember through the weeks, you know, after just really numb. Really, really numb. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I love is that there were some people who were facilitating helix circles, virtual helix circles. And I think that's when it really cemented for me how important community is. Like you cannot do this thing life by yourself. And grieving again is not solitary. Grief can be shared. And so just shout out to all the placemakers and holders, those people that can hold such a dynamic space and facilitate the processing of just really complex emotions. So the pandemic did a lot of shadow work, if we allow it, I would say, you know, for me, like, what are the things that are repressed? What are the things that we're not saying or speaking? And, you know, I did some decolonizing your business work, you know, during that time, just to help people become more aware of the ways in which we hold privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, even particularly, even in the feminine, you know, I do believe that the feminine is the path forward. Because there's just so much sacredness. And it's not even about being 
a woman or cisgender woman, it's the feminine. It's like it's a spirit. It's something that just breathes and exists yes. beyond time and space of wisdom and mystery and intuition and love and, and compassion. And it's those things, creativity. It's that womb. It's that place that things are birthed and nurtured. And so what does the society look like when it's properly incubated? How does it benefit when it's nourished and when it's heard, when it's witnessed, when it's healed? Well, I think the pandemic for me also was just like a lot of truth telling, both external and internal, because that's the only way that we heal. So since everybody had to go through their collective room for about three years, as we emerge are we different? Are we better? What has come up? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to treat each other? But also, how are we going to treat ourselves? And it's important, too. I mean, it's just so hard to explain because PTSD from it all, absolutely. And if you didn't come out with the more appreciation for your community, for your people, for those that breathe life into your soul, not to be cheesy, but it does. I mean, I was living by myself at the time and it was awful. Not to compare to anyone else's situation, but it was awful. I mean, going to my mom's house and waving to her, being, you know, distance away because she has asthma, didn't want to do anything to harm her or anything. But I don't want to say if you didn't come out with a new perspective, it's wrong. But I do kind of feel that way of I have much more appreciation. I do have a much more appreciation to meet incredible people like yourself. But what community means or what people mean to you? I don't know. I can't even explain it because I have so many thoughts racing through my head right now and just thinking back to how 2020 to 23 was and how just traumatizing. And as an empath myself, it was. And it's trauma porn is the perfect way to say it because it's true. And I love social media and I also hate it because, you know, you scroll through and like, oh, I didn't expect this video of someone dying by suicide or I didn't expect this video of awful X thing happening or police brutality that we see all the time. Love that for evidence, but it's just you're not prepared for what you're going to scroll through. And it there's no words to put behind it. I mean, there's no words. I mean, we have to be on it being business owners and you're like, you need to be on social media, you need to post, but at what cost sometimes when it gets down to that? Now, with all this happening, because a lot of people do talk about community, it is a common topic. And I love that you talked about what femininity means and it's not, you know, um, had what you said, but what does that mean in kind of embracing the femolutionary, I think I said it right, mm -hmm. of what that means to you and how you embrace it in your everyday work you do? So just looking at my own lived experience and growing up in a community which is strong women, you know, I have the, like I said earlier, how close I was with my grandmother. My grandmother came to Detroit by way of North Carolina North Carolina, then New York, and then Detroit. Very interesting journey. She had to be like, I would say five foot, a buckle five with like wet clothes on. <laughs> but she was and such a Sag, sassy Sagittarius. So shout out to my wedding. Mm -hmm. Sassy Sagittarius from, you know, North Carolina. And she could just take on anything. Like I just watched how she just took on life. Like she could take on anything. And then being a nurse, to me, that's still akin to being a healer. And so this feminine 
has just such a, a, a way of nurturing and healing. And that's what I watched women in my community do was to be the nurturers, to be healers, to be financers. You know, the femolutionary, my grandmother and my great, great aunt, God rest both their souls, were helping women to convalesce after abortions in the 1940s and 50s. Wow. Wow. My grandmother and my mother's godmother, they would front facing during the day, have a convalescent hall. But in the back at night, when women wanted to leave their abusive husbands, they would keep the light on in the back. And they kind of had their own underground railroad of sorts to get women to safe harbor. So like literally the women would come with like trash bags full of clothes or whatever they could find or, you know, to hold their things with children. And it's a convalescent home, so nobody's really paying attention to. Right. Who's paying attention to it? Like senior living. Like no one watches that for like criminal activity. That's the last place that you would look. I this you are I, this, I never have stumbled over my words, but. Your family is what we read about or you hear these stories of and it's like, oh, is that true? Or let's hear more of these stories and amplify these voices. But amazing. So you come from a line of incredible women. So there's no shock that you are how you are today. Wow. I owe them so much. Right. I know I have to take it in sometimes, too, because it's like, oh, my gosh, like this isn't you know, a PBS special that I'm reading about or somebody turned it into a Lifetime movie or a new segment. Like, no, these are like real blood of my blood, bone of my bone. I don't know why I'm so emotional today, but like, yeah. Let it out. We don't care. I have chills. Yeah, I get chills too. Like, these are my ancestors. I was sweating. Not that you need to know this, but I was sweating before this podcast and I'm just like chills all over right now. Like, how incredible. I mean, Wow. So not to take away from you, but I want to know selfishly, what kind of other stories did you hear growing up? And oh, my gosh, or what other rest their soul, of course, but their souls, I should say. But what other incredible stories or how how did that impact you? Because I know for me personally, I my grandmother, I'm very close with. I will be absolutely destroyed when she goes. But she grew up, worked for Mishcon before it was DTE. And she's badass, actually went to college which was unheard of for her day and age. So I have such admiration for her. And I remember hearing those stories. I think I was in middle school. I had to do like a My Hero thing. And I was interviewing her and I was like, I didn't know that. Or I interviewed my mother for Mother's Day just this last year. And I didn't, I found out more things. I'm like, I've known you my whole life. How did I not know these things? But back to you, what was that like? Or when did you have that cognition, I should say, of like, holy, lack of a better term, holy shit. They're badass. Like this is this is storytelling. This is not like you said, a Lifetime movie or PBS special. This is literally they lived it. You know, I don't know when, but I will say I was just in casual conversation and I watched the person that I was telling it to. And they're like, well, they can't see our face, but like eyes begin to like widen, mouth becomes a gate. And I'm like, yeah. And it's like, no. Not, oh. Yeah, like, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, seriously, to be challenging the system, and I mean, of course, challenge the system now for women, right? Because, I mean, we're very much facing the threat of, you know, reproductive rights. So it's not like any of this is new. But we're talking about at a time where there were women, and let's add to it, there are Black women, they could have been murdered. 
100%. Like if people found out what was happening, they could have lost their lives. The doctor, because I mean, they were, this was all under medical supervision. My grandmother was a nurse. So she was working with the doctor that was performing these abortions. They could have lost their license. License, jail. I mean, whew. jail, all of it. Right. My great, great aunt's like a, an accessory because it's her home that this right. is happening. Or, you know, the husband finding out that this complex home was like, took my wife away. Like I'm looking for her. And even though I've been beating her for breakfast, lunch and dinner, she's property, right? We're dealing with that era of I own her. So she has, what was it? What was it like the 1970s that women could have their own like bank account? Oh, I think like 70s or 80s. Crazy. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. And then it wasn't until the 90s that it became outlaw for a man to rape his wife. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just to really contextualize this, this is happening in the 1940s and 50s. And anybody that watches Mad Men, you know what era. And then we're adding, you know, layers of, you know, racial identity. Yeah, it could be certain death. But yeah, I've got all kinds of stories like women owning property. Like, who does that? Like, yeah, women owning properties. Not just property, but properties. It's really extraordinary. And I think that's the place that I have to often go, especially when I become afraid to do something new or, you know, kind of light my own path. I have to remember that I come from women who have been, well, lighting their own paths. I mean, that's something to leave North Carolina by yourselves. <laughs> it wipes you out. It does. My mind is just like, I have so many questions. But no, all of these, like, women's rights. I just learned this a few years ago. I did not realize it was, I mean, like marital rape being a thing, like you mentioned, 90s, 1990s, or the credit card or credit score, all these things that prohibit people in different socioeconomic statuses. I mean, this is in our life, most of our lifetimes. Like, this is not, uh, oh, this was like hundreds of years ago and this didn't happen. That's right. If you still have your grandparents, your parents around, I mean, it is in their lifetime, depending on your age. But I went down a rabbit hole because I learned this for my master's degree. And I was like, no way, this has to be wrong. I had to step back because I am, again, empath here was like, I think I ended up like just getting so beside myself and upset. And I think I did call my grandmother and I was like, this seriously was a thing. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bring her on the podcast one of these days to tell some stories. But you should. Yeah. It's just wild when people are like, this is long ago. This isn't a problem anymore. Do your research, like do your research and know these things. I mean, you can live in a bubble. Great. I know we would all love to live in this happy, happy society and everything's great and nobody has any problems and everyone has equal rights, but we're not there. We're not even close to there. And people do need to educate themselves. I mean, it's I won't go on a tangent, but back to you. You're stumping me. This is my first time, Brenda. I never get lost for words, but I am just so intrigued. I have 5,000 questions about you and your family and everything. So we'll turn it back to you, of course, because badass women you come from, that is clear. And you are a badass yourself. So I want to go back to you getting invited to do poetry. because, And I want to see the YouTube video. Include that so listeners can view it. But how did that feel when you literally turn in your resignation, you have an invitation and what was going through your head when it did happen? I think I cried because it was a manifestation to me of faith because seriously, it was, 
you know, I forget the passage, but there's a scripture that says that faith is the evidence of things not seen, but there's like a thing that you can feel. And, you know, whatever you are on, you know, the spiritual spectrum, God, goddess, universe, source, what, you know, whatever you yourself call it. I was just like, oh my God, the black Jesus showed up on time. I couldn't, I was just beside myself because it was really like, it was sheer faith. I had nothing else lined up and I had to read it. I had to read the email like five times to see if this was real. Because I think also attached to it was like, oh, well, what is your fee? And I'm like, <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> and of all, I mean, there's no shortage of talent in this city. We are blessed to be in an area where, I mean, it's just like, I was sharing with someone else earlier today about, I don't like going to karaoke here because everyone can sing. Like, this is not the place where people cannot sing. Oh, don't tell me that I'm going tomorrow. Well, depending on where you go. I can't sing. Okay. But it's all good. It's my first time going. I, I can't, can't either. sing. It's fine. I'll be, I'll be the one. But go ahead. Listen, my go-to is um, Madonna's Vogue, like complete <sighs> with like dancing and, and oh yeah. You have to. Like my sister and I have like this Vogue walk-off. Like we do like a, a runway, like walk-off thing. And um, George Michael's Too Funky. Remember when they had like all the models Ooh. and like we do these twerk. Like we do the, oh yeah, we do this thing like we're going to collide. Like it's like model chicken. Like it's going to be the, oh, it's a, it's a thing. I love it. Um, please, please record it next time you do it. I need to see it or invite me and I'll watch it live. Please. I, you know, I might have it on Facebook because we did it for my birthday, but it was, it was awesome. But yes, but getting <laughs> back to, you know, reading this email and being affirmed and like, I'm not crazy. Like my intuitive faculty, it's real. It is potent. It is an agreement. It is co-creation. Because I do remember praying prayers of like, you know, put me in alignment, you know, put me in a place where I can express my gifts, skills, talents, and abilities. I want to be compensated for like what I do naturally. I want to pay to be my, like, I just want to be myself. I want to be of service. Like, put me in a place where, you know, I'm going to really go here. Lord, put me in a place where it's not me, it's you. Where the spirit shines through to the point where it's like I disappear and it's all you. And anyone here that hangs out on the mystical side of the street, you know what I'm talking about, where you have these transcendental moments. And I feel like whatever you're passionate about, it really should feel, I'm not a should person, but anyone who's listening that's questioning about where they are in life and what they want to be doing, it's like the movie Soul. When I think jazz oh. is probably the perfect a jazz improv, I think, is the perfect demonstration of having a spiritual encounter. It's like your mind in space just all disappears. You go into this heightened state of just euphoria that you forget yourself. You forget where you are. And something bigger than yourself comes in and just completely takes over. And for me, if it's not going to be that, then why do it? Like, I don't want to just do something or paycheck or just do something because I'm bored. It has to fill my soul up. And this is what I, you know, do. Like, I'm, I'm a soulful, you know, coach or soul coach for transformational leaders because you want to be on the planet. At least I do as a person that is a formidable force for good. And being a soulful person, and I think a lot of people... I guess I should say, don't open their hearts or don't take on 
like you said, whatever you believe in, God, goddesses, ancestral, whatever that may be to you, open these, I'm going to call them signs. That's what I always like to say is what signs are there. But that's right. And I feel a lot of people need like, this is my sign. This is what I need to be doing. And it's a clear path when it's it's not. I mean, mine was, you're going to get fired because you won't do it yourself after all these signs I've given you. So you're going to get fired. And then you're going to have the mission to do it yourself. I like to say opening your heart or opening your mind to those opportunities. And oh, soulful work. And I don't know why I've never thought to talk about this because the feeling I can describe it is I'm an extrovert. Yes, I get my energy from people. But for me, it's I have an impactful podcast like this. I mean, I am going to leave this and the feeling like I could run a marathon, even though I'm not a runner, nor can I run at all. But the feeling like I could run a marathon or just the biggest dose of dopamine in the world, like the happiest day of your life. And that's what a rush feels like when I record the podcast and get to know impactful people like yourself or change someone's life that they're crying on the phone or Google meet with me because they figured out their career or they got that raise or they left an awful relationship or whatever that case may be. And that's when I know I'm doing the right thing. There's awful days, as I'm sure you can tell just as many stories, too. Like it's not all sunshines and rainbows and perfect, but those soulful days are what makes it all worth it. And I love that movie, too. Pixar was on fire, honestly, in the last few years. Oh, yeah. Go watch Soul, too, because that's a good one. Mm -hmm. So back on my comment of that, what are your thoughts? And do you agree kind of like that same feeling you get? Or you probably can describe it better than I can. I think you did a wonderful job of describing it, that you could run a marathon after you finish doing the thing. And I don't know what I was born with, like around like the throat chakra, but as long as it's like speaking, facilitating, coaching, anything where the voice is involved, it's just going to be my jam. The people that are attracted most to me are usually women, women and girls. Like I could be, I remember... Oh, so many stories. But at one time I was getting gas. I was on my way to host poetry series, was getting gas. And it was maybe like three young ladies. And they were just like awestruck. Like, I guess the outfit I have, I had on fishnets. So yes, I wear, I wear fishnet Big stockings fan. and a lot of like, yeah, I'll guess. I think every woman needs to have a pair. Absolutely. So I had my fishnets and blinged out. My dress was like blinged out. I had all the jewelry on, like painted face. I was beat, so. They knew I was going somewhere. They were like, oh, my gosh. They were like, yes, girl. Oh, my gosh, she's blinging. And I'm like, that's good, right? And they were like, yes, it's good. <laughs> and so we just kind of had like this, you know, exchange. And it's like, it doesn't matter about where you put me. I am always going to be drawn to the girl. I remember it was a young lady. She had a problem customer at um, Kroger. And he was, this guy had it coming. And he was just so awful to her. But the way that she chose to respond, I had to intercept and say, this dude is a jerk, but is this jerk worth your job? And so he wanted, I was like, I'm talking to her. <laughs> yes. Do you want him to be the reason that you lose this job? Is this going to feel good right here in the moment? But when you leave tonight, are you going to miss a bill? Is there somebody important in your life depending on you? Just think about it. She had a moment. I said, just go ahead and check. He's, yeah, he's a douche. Go ahead, check him out. 
And I went and talked to her supervisor, you know, after like, you know, I hope that she doesn't lose her job. He had it coming, but I get there's also an etiquette here. I, right. I, I understand that there's a way that we talk to customers, but I witnessed it. And I don't know if she's had other episodes like the attitude or whatever, because it also hurts my soul, too, is that with women and then particularly women of color, why don't we get to express our anger? This guy was being a total he was being a jerk, like full stop. Mm-hmm. And because she's a cashier, does that give you the right to talk to her like she's not a human being? Right. Sure doesn't. No. But how many of us have been in a place where, you know, you've been the recipient of just really bad behavior? Oh, it's, for no reason. Right. Right. Oh, <laughs> I have. I am one that I'm. I love confrontation in the nicest way. So if someone's being rude, I have told people off at Kroger and Royal Oak. I have told people off on server's behalf as the customer. Oh, yeah, I have no problem with confrontation. But it's such a difference in being the way that I am. It's hard working for a corporation. And there are so many people that are just awful human beings. I mean, my uncle owns a bar. I help him out with it in Warren. And it's just like some people think oh, I could be rude. You're just a server. Little do you know, I have my own business. I have my own podcast. And for the most part, people are pretty good. But it's the ones that's like, oh, sweetie, go do this or oh, go do that. Not just me. And I'm like, I have no problem treating you how you deserve. Because and it's the most enlightening and empowering thing was when we've had a few, of course, awful customers. My employee, I always say, escalate problems to me. I don't want you dealing with it if they're awful. We've had a few awful ones that I fired. I straight up said, you are disrespectful. You are not worth my time. Customer is not always right. Anyone that disagrees with me can fight me, but the customer is not always right. They are not. And it makes you think back to all the times, whether it was a parent going after a teacher, whether it was an awful customer in a grocery store, at a restaurant, in a corporate job. I mean, any client-facing job, most of them are, or an awful team member or boss and all the managers and owners that refuse to do anything about it because we need the money. They quite frankly don't care about me as an individual. And that's not right. I mean, being a business owner now and having incredible employees that I quite frankly would do anything for, it just shows how much those people did not care. I know I'm going on a rant. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it's something I'm very passionate about because I think everyone should have to work in hospitality, food and beverage or retail before you graduate high school so you can learn some manners and respect for those that do. Which brings us back to culture. Yes. These are the agreed upon norms, values and behaviors that we as a society deem as acceptable. And in our society, like he's bartenders, cashiers, anything where you're in customer service or retail or any place, even on the phone, there is no reason at all for anyone to be the recipient of your bad behavior. No. Full stop. Full stop. I think it's interesting, too, because and I can't speak on this, but even people that make comments and think they can get away with like, I can't even think of ones or like mispronouncing names and think it's funny or just like, oh, I'm going to call you this instead. It's like, that's not my name. mm, And it's so mm. disrespectful. It's not. And there's a way to be respectful about everything. I mean, I confirm with every single guest, is this how you pronounce your name? I apologize if I screw it up. I did the same with you. And I, of course, pronounced it wrong like 
the awful person I am. But it's just there's ways to be respectful if you're uneducated on a subject, if you don't know about a certain historic event or if you don't have your facts in line. And it's like people like yourself, but like, let's have the conversation. I love having conversations. I love going to events. I love celebrating holidays. I don't know anything about. I'm like, teach me. I don't I don't know anything. Let's tell me what to do. What are your comments on that? Because you could speak to it better than me. Oh, wow. I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, but I definitely will say we can just start, you know, for the sake of time, we'll start with the name. Mm -hmm. As a bearer of a full-bodied name, there is nothing more disrespectful than is there something else I can call you? No, there is not. Because anything else that you could call me is intimate and requires at least a decade worth of relationship. Right. We do not have that history. No, you cannot call me something else. Do you have anything shorter? Again, not that you can call me. Right. You're not in a place to make someone else feel comfortable. Like that's not your job or anyone else's job. Learn someone's name, learn someone's, what they're into, what they celebrate. And don't just assume. I mean, I know so many people get up in arms about, oh, well, I don't care. I'm going to say Merry Christmas. It's like, what's the difference to just say Happy Holidays or just like, do you realize how many other people celebrate different holidays that aren't Christmas? I know we're only taught Christmas. Jesus wasn't born in December. I know they're going to come get me for that one. So let's <laughs> let's do the math here. Right. We're going to fight me for that. So yes. my thing is, especially for those that won't acquiesce to that, love, true love is not keeping score on being right. Do you want to preserve and create a relationship or are you hell bent on being right? And this is in any relationship, right? There comes a point if you want to preserve the relationship or even create one. Do you have to be right? Nope. That's up to you. Because look at what's at stake here. Right. Going back to your comment with the <laughs> cashier. Do you want to lose your job over this? Think of your next step. In the moment, like you said, feels right. But do you want to be right? That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Because it's going to feel good to cuss and clean out. Like it is going to feel good in the moment. But the moment's going to pass. And are you going to need another job? And, you know, are you going to get reference check? And then, you know, depending on, you know, what kind of where he's coming from, is he going to press charges? You know, because he felt assaulted and threatened. Like this can escalate to a level. Right. Yeah. I think we just need a three hour podcast because I feel like we've only scratched the surface. I'd love to come back. You are going to come back because there are so many things I want to talk about. But I would, again, love to keep talking and maybe we'll we'll section off pieces of your life and we'll just have the Berinda series. That's what we're going to do. We'll do one through five <laughs> monologues. It's great. <laughs> I want to talk about your podcast and all the great things you're doing. So what are you doing, let's say, in the next six months to a year where listeners can follow you, work with you? Tell me about yourself more. What are you doing right now? And in the next year. Right now, immediately, anyone who's listening, go over to BrahendaWilliams.com. Click on the tab that says podcast. And please, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to Soul of a Lead Her. She who lives and works from the soul. So that's like a media. I am the executive director of the Power of Girlhood um, Inner Voice Project. So we have a magazine coming that has been produced for and by young women. Like, all, shout out everyone on that whole team is 25 and under. Wow. Yes, 25 and under. I'm talking about production, laying the content out. So I'm super excited about that. So that's coming. And, uh, you know, we're talking about next six months to a year. I would definitely say for your listeners, 
hire me to MC your event or facilitate workshops. I, I love absolutely, especially going into, you know, organizations to talk about the power of empathic feminine leadership, because I really believe that we're just at this really critical crossroads in our humanity where we need to have not just more conversation, but more conversation that moves and inspires us to action. So what does that look like to have an inclusive workspace? What does that look like to really have a diverse and inclusive team and center um, belonging? So yes, that's what I'm doing for the next six months to a year. Please come over to my website and sign up for my newsletter and you will be up to the minute and you'll also get a free gift. So for those of you who are empaths, there's quiz there and toolkit that will help you hone and use your empathic gifts. Oh, I know what I'm doing after this podcast. Thank you. Amazing. Now, as we wrap this up, what advice do you have for listeners? Get in touch with your soul because that has all the answers. I don't care what kind of branding strategist, expert, coach, guru. Nobody knows better than you. Get to know yourself. Really sit in a space where you can maybe get quiet. If you don't know what questions to ask, the universe loves questions. And if you can just answer this one, it'll kind of take you down the rabbit hole. But you can ask, what is mine to do? Brenda. Wow. <laughs> I feel like I could run five marathons after this one. But, oh, you are just incredible. <laughs> Thank you so much. Listeners, you're listening to this. Brenda's website, everything is in the show notes. Please reach out to her, sign up for a newsletter, take that empath quiz and message her where you can because she's an absolutely incredible human being and she does live up to the glitz story that she does look glamorous every single time I see her, even when she's casual. Casual is like my best. So you live up to it. You're amazing. Thank you. So are you, Angela. This was a lot. This was a lot of fun. So I'm going to go. Well, I'm not going to run, but I'll walk a runway. I could go walk a runway. A walk a runway. There you go. There you go. I could walk a runway. Yeah. That's it. Just the runway. That's all we need. We love it. But for those of you listening, tune in next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at The Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.